0: This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, February 15th, 2017. I'm Caleb Brown. The exit of Mike Flynn as national security advisor reveals more than just the details of an ill-advised conversation with a Russian official. It reveals the degree to which intelligence agencies can use their troves of data to move politics and policymakers without clear oversight. Cato senior fellow Julian Sanchez comments. We now know that uh, Mike Flynn spoke with uh, Russian ambassador before the inauguration of Donald Trump, which raises some uh, issues with respect to uh, changing administrations and sort of the timing of that call was, uh, was problematic. But we also know that there was this how that information came to light uh, with respect to the reporting on it is also on its, by itself problematic.
1: Yeah, uh, I mean, to the extent we have uh, an ongoing conflict between the new administration and the uh, uh, intelligence community, I I find myself thinking of the uh, tagline for the uh, action film uh, Alien v. Predator, uh, whoever wins, we lose. Uh, We have on the one hand uh, an administration that has been uh, dismissive, certainly all along, of the uh, growing and very strong intelligence community consensus that Russia had interfered Um, on their behalf, uh, publishing uh, hacked, stolen emails uh, from the DNC and from uh, Clinton advisers in order to uh, harm her chances uh, and and assist Trump, uh, and who, frankly, seems uh, not particularly interested in uh, pursuing that, and who, indeed, as we now know, thanks to further leaks, uh, whose Uh, aides were in frequent contact with Russian officials throughout the campaign. Uh, When you combine that with the context of uh, Trump's sort of surprising deference to and admiration for uh, Russian autocrats, um, their intervention to uh, change the uh, GOP platform to uh, treat uh, Russia more gently with respect to their intervention in uh, in, in uh, Ukraine um you know it, it's certainly not unreasonable to wonder whether something suspicious and untoward is going on there i mean frankly because the conduct during the campaign was so bizarre um and on the one hand you you do have to uh, perhaps share the worry the the worry that uh it seems many in the intelligence community have that uh once Trump appointees are installed in law enforcement and intelligence agencies, uh, the will to continue an investigation into uh, any potential impropriety there will evaporate.
0: But it also speaks to just the power of these agencies themselves to, without any kind of uh, apparent oversight, uh, reveal damaging information about someone.
1: Absolutely. And that's the other, uh, the other half of this is why we're in such an uncomfortable position, because you might well understand why uh, the intelligence community would feel itself to be in an untenable position when, in a sense, the, the threat is coming from inside the house, when, um, in their perception, the, the national security threat is now uh, in, in the White House and and their nominal boss. On the other hand, yeah, if we look sort of historically, um, when the intelligence community slips the leash right? when they, uh, because they have such enormous troves of uh, secret and potentially embarrassing or destructive information, that gives them effectively the ability to decide who uh, will have their political career torpedoed through selective leaking. Um, that has not ended well. I mean, J. Edgar Hoover was feared uh, and accumulated feudal power as director of the FBI over decades in substantial part. Because because his nominal overseers, both in Congress and even the executive branch, were effectively afraid of him. They didn't know what he might have on them, except in the uh, rare cases where they found out to their cost. Um, And so the idea that we now have a situation, whatever the extenuating circumstances might be, where political appointees are being torpedoed uh, uh, by, again, selective leaks of the contents of foreign intelligence intercepts, not with that information being uh, passed on to Congress, but Showing up on the front page of the New York Times because with Burrus na- uh, with names attached, with names attached, uh, and that's you know there was a, a piece in the in the Wall Street Journal saying oh it was so strange that Flynn wasn't, uh, Flynn's name wasn't minimized in uh, these transcripts. As an internal matter, that's not really weird, right? Minimization means you take out the names of Americans when they're not relevant to understanding the foreign intelligence information that you've gathered.
0: Trevor Burrus Incidentally then, collected. Right.
1: Uh, now, in this case, of course, the, the collection of Flynn is incidental in the sense that the targets here were Russian government officials, which is a legitimate target, um, and they happened to, in the course of targeting those people, pick up Flynn's voice. Um, and if there was no foreign intelligence value or no foreign intelligence relevance, Uh, to the fact that it was Flynn talking to them, then, yeah, his name would have been minimized. Um, But, of course, why that conversation is relevant from a foreign intelligence perspective turns critically on the fact that it was the president's national security advisor having the conversation. So, it's not surprising that his name was left in. Um, The question is, look, should the way this process works be um, that the— intelligence community does a lot of wiretapping picks up an enormous number of communications between uh, foreign officials and uh, people in the United States and then uh, decides that uh, one uh, you know one particular person's uh, communication is uh, sufficiently important for the public to know that it ends up on the front page uh, of the New York Times now i think there are a lot of reasons to want uh, Flynn gone to, to to be wary of of someone with his views and instincts in the role of national security adviser. Uh, I mean, among others, his attitude apparently that, that Islam per se, not jihadist ideology, but Islam, the religion, um, is is effectively the adversary, something it's rational to fear. Um, at the same time. You know, This is someone who had left the Obama administration under uh, uncomfortable circumstances, uh, who uh, lots of folks at the CIA and the Pentagon um, sort of feared uh, in a position of power, uh, feared might hold grudges. Um, so, you know, uh, is there an argument that there is a sort of a public interest in disclosure of this? I think absolutely, um, but it's also very easy to convince yourself that um, the things that are in your personal interest or that match your personal desires uh, are the things that are in the public interest. Uh, So almost independent of whether we think this is an extreme enough case or an extenuating circumstances case um, where going outside normal channels and and letting the uh, contents of these intercepts uh, make their way to to the press – you do have to be worried about the precedent this sets, about the idea that we're we're now again really watching um, the intelligence community decide you know clearly illegally um, which intelligence intercepts are going to be leaked to press for I think what are what are pretty clearly political reasons um, so there's There's, in a sense, no side you can take without some discomfort, I think, in this conflict.
0: What kind of parallels, if any, can you draw between this and the case of Ed Snowden, who, uh, it is, we now know, uh, made some efforts to follow the proper channels to deal with things that he found to be extremely bothersome and extremely troubling. And this case, where perhaps Congress, uh, in its current configuration, wouldn't find uh, this information worth pursuing. Right. Uh,
1: you know, and I, I, I think there is something to that analogy, although I would be wary of stretching it too far. Um, I mean, one important difference is that, you know, a classic whistleblower is someone who is within an agency or a government institution or, or I suppose, a corporate institution um, who has derogatory information about the conduct of their own institution, and so uh, feels that it's necessary to go outside to expose that internal wrongdoing. In this case, we're not talking about the you know, people within the intelligence agencies exposing wrongdoing of their own institution, but rather um, deciding particular political appointees have uh, misconduct that uh, that needs to be exposed. And I again, I, you know, I think it's, it's worth emphasizing that to the extent you have, again, a uh, both a campaign and now an administration with officials with um, pretty suspicious regular contacts with Russia, whose whole attitude and uh, uh, posture towards Russia um, is, again, frankly bizarre. Um, and these are now the people running the government. Um, There is a kind of macro whistleblowery sense in which uh, you might reasonably worry. And I think what's going on here was um, the intelligence community is perhaps reasonably worried, at least in terms of the most recent disclosures involving uh, campaign contacts with Russia uh, over the course of the last year, that a incomplete investigation is going to be squashed by political appointees um, in order to conceal potential wrongdoing. That's a reasonable concern. Um, And so, from that perspective, there's a whistleblowery aspect to it. uh, It's an effort to effectively publish enough to immunize the investigation from political interference uh, before it can run its course. Um, On the other hand, you know, lots of political officials, political appointees, politicians themselves um, have, if you want to dig through their phone conversations and their emails, something that if you selectively revealed it would either be a crime, because lots of things are, are at least arguably crimes, or look extremely bad politically. Uh, and so, again, whether or not we agree in this case, um, it has to make you uncomfortable that those judgment calls are being made by the folks within the agencies themselves. They're the ones deciding, this can go through the normal process, and we'll see if uh, there's something that's worth uh, bringing down an indictment, and we'll forward this information to the appropriate uh, agencies for prosecution. Uh, but no, in this case, actually, that's unlikely to succeed, and so the way we deal with it is by leaking, uh, effectively, the contents of intercepts. Um, again, you might, in the instance, think that that's justified. but. Boy, howdy, does it have to make you uh, swallow a little hard um, to think that this is something that's now a daily practice.
0: Julian Sanchez is a senior fellow at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to and rate this podcast at iTunes and Google Play and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.